Welcome to DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me there on Twitter, and this is the show where uh, well we'll talk a little bit about yesterday's slate, yesterday's slate. But what wrong? What went right? What did the sharp players do? And we'll talk a little bit about today. I guess today the, the late the late slate, the early slate. What the, I don't know if we can even talk about the early slate. Half the games by lock, it, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what the sites are doing. The lock is what, at 1235? And we're probably not going to have half the lineups for the slate out. So uh, apparently they wanted to do it that way. So, I mean, I can we talk about it? Sure, but but I don't know. really can't build lineups. I mean, you have to prepare swaps or whatever. I mean, some of these lineups may be different at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, but... I guess I guess you gotta live with that. So uh, so if, if you if as we always do here, we talk about DFS strategy primarily, not picks, not plays, not locks, not anything. We talk about tools, projections, strategy. If you got any questions, put it in the YouTube chat. I see you guys in here already. Suki Singh, Don Montgomery, Card Fan, Daniel Hutchings, DFS degenerate, Michael uh, Michael Dompier, Brandy McNeil. Hit that thumbs up button. I got, I got, I think this is the last Mott's apple juice in the fridge. I got to get more. I got to go out and get more uh, today. So keep it cold throughout the show. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. Yeah, you're right, Daniel. Almost a four hour gap between the start of the first and the last game. It's, I don't mind the gap, right? I don't mind the gap. Like from, from a sweat perspective, who cares, right? Who cares? It's just that uh, how it's, how do you make lineups? Like, how do you make lineups not knowing the lineups? Especially because the day the day games after the night game, the night games or whatever, that type of thing. Like, some, they, they rest people, catch different catchers. Right, you take a look here. It's like, okay, Brewers, Diamondbacks. It's like, is is, is Narvaez going to, oh, against the lefty? Is it going to be Pena? Is, I mean, what happened to Vogelback? Is he going to play, right? I mean, he's probably, he was hobbling. Right then, you take a look at the Diamondbacks. I don't know what the hell's happened here. You're probably not playing the Diamondbacks with Woodruff here. And you look here, and you go, okay, well, well, Tani's pitching. It's like what that lineup's going to look like. The Giants are probably going to be something like something like this, right? Okay. Then you get the Rockies. These aren't that great of games to begin with. But still, like the Mariners. Like what's going to happen there? Is Tom Murphy, Luis Torrens, where's where's Dylan Moore? Is going to be up in the order, lower in the order? Who knows? I guess these will be easier to swap, right? I think some 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 of these teams are a little bit easier because the, the the players that, that you'd be swapping to would be about the same price anyway. We don't even have a Nationals. We don't even have a Nationals lineup, and their game is at one o'clock, right? So what the hell are you going to do? Who we who we likely playing on this early slate? Before we get into yesterday's slate, I don't know. I didn't even look. I didn't even look at the early slate because I have other stuff. I had this show. I got a meeting. I got a doctor's appointment. I, I can't even play. I can't even play the soccer slate. And that's a four-game slate. Brutal. Playing the nine, playing the seven o'clock baseball slate. I'm playing soccer to no side. There is no soccer tomorrow. All right. Well, what are we doing on the early slate? I don't even know. Who are we attacking? Who's the highest total team? Right. Well, we got the White Sox. It's Chase DeJong. We got uh, yeah, the Cardinals. Yeah, good luck with that. I tried the Cardinals yesterday. <laughs> well, they're up against Matt Manning. Well, who cares? It doesn't matter. They're horrible. <laughs> Lars Newtbar, play that guy. Okay. Let's see. Let's go back to yesterday. Yesterday, yesterday, yesterday. Uh, if you paid the Astros, you did the right thing. Okay. 
I mean, it's confirmed. Like that was by far. Like not, you don't have to X amount, but going under on like twenty four percent on DraftKings, twenty four percent Alvarez, twenty three percent Brantley, twenty one percent Altuve, right? Abraham Torre was almost sixteen percent. Robles Garcia was twelve percent, and you can see here by the yellow that like I just picked out like. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and sharp players. I mean, like a hub row had like like none, like literally no Astros, zero percent, nothing. But I mean, like FJ Bourne, like bare like one lineup. Brantley, eight percent. Hold Tuve, I can understand. Second base is a weaker position, right? Toro, like Toro across the board, like way under. Yeah, say the whistles had you know fourteen percent. Okay. Had a little Jordan, had a little, like a, a little under, still had some, but like across the board, the Astros were over-owned. Then an, another player on DraftKings was, was over-owned for a 14-game slate, and that's uh, uh, Wander Franco. You can see here across the board, yellow, 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 yellow. Yeah, I know, he's 2K. Oh, he's mispriced. Uh, how do you not play him? How do you not lock him in? If he's min price, well, min price in baseball is different than min price in basketball. Okay. Being a min price player, the basketball scoring is an event based. Wanda Franco could have easily gone 0 for 4 yesterday. Anyone could have gone 0 for 4 yesterday. Abraham Toro went 0 for 4. I mean, it's baseball, right? Yeah, they may have a median. Oh, that is a median of 10. Oh, <clears throat> yeah, median of 10. Zeros are all, all in his range of outcomes threes, sixes. Right, but he's 2K. Oh, so, but if all the 21% of lineups that are in a 14-game slate have a 2K shortstop, you know how 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 uh, how much your builds are going to look the same? If you're playing Juan DeFranco, the Astros, and Cole and Giolito, I mean, what, why did you even bother playing GPPs yesterday? So why did you bother? But of course, Franco goes for 27 points. But this is what I mean by don't go, don't, don't go by the results, go by the process. So yeah, you can't you can't think in your head. You go, oh, the Astros fade was sharp, right? Because look at all the sharp players. Oh, but fading Franco is is dumb. Like no, it's this it's the same concept. It's the same exact concept. Over over owned for their probability of a ceiling. Well, they hit the ceiling. Okay, not it's not a zero percent chance. So there you go. So that that was, I mean, if you were in DraftKings and you made non-Astros, non-Wander Franco lineups, you, you, you were sharp. Uh, sharps were kind of mixed with Garrett Cole. He was the most owned pitcher, 40% on DraftKings. He was only 27% on FanDuel. Uh, he got some strikeouts, but he, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be double-digit strikeout Cole anymore. Giolito put up a decent game, right? Didn't get the win. Scherzer put up a good game, even though he, he didn't pitch as long, but he got a ton of strikeouts. Charlie Morton was the play. He was like 4% on on FanDuel. But on a two-pitcher site like DraftKings, I can understand it. So Wheeler, Wheeler got killed. I had a lot of Wheeler on, Fan, on FanDuel. Peralta, 35, Morton. I mean, Stripling had a decent game, right? Disclafani crushed it. I mean, Heaney... Heaney was able to get 17 and a half points, even having like had, had, a, had a bad game, right? Because he ended up with 10 strikeouts anyway, even though he's given up dongs all over the place. 
He was just saved by some of these the, the sharp players. I mean, sharper players went Scherzer. Like they went, oh, the Scherzer's still Cole, still a mix of both, but then, you know, played some Kershaw, played, but still not as many. I would see some Morton here. I mean, but still, if you look at this ownership, I said yesterday on, on crunch time and on the morning grind, I think, no, no, I'm morning grind I did for today. That too many people are going to make these types of builds, the, the two the two expensive pitcher builds. And Len, you could see here just by the ownership that that's exactly what happened. The two expensive pitcher and the Wander Franco type of build. Did that build get there? I don't know. Did it get there? No, no, it actually didn't. It didn't get there. Well, some, it was one, two, three. This is just a mess. This is a mess of a lineup. It's a three, three, a three, three, something, something or other on a 14 game slate. Okay. I guess it can get there. What did the Mish have? What did the Mish had? What? Three, four, four, five. Okay. Okay. We got the Oakland stack. That's probably was the winner. Loriano, Kana, Andrews, Chapman, Murphy. No Olsen. Peralta, Morton, the nut pitcher combination. And then uh, Brantling is a one-off. Okay, I guess just just what fit. I guess you could do it with ownership on all of these being low. And then Void and LeMay, who both hit home runs. Like in any other in any other day, this would have been the winning lineup. If Summit 87 decided just not to play today and just not put together whatever the hell they put together. Like that lineup, that this would this would be the winning lineup. Five, two, one with the nut pitching combination that both were not as owned. You take a look at like player one. Pole Peralta, like, yeah, pole, you know, that gap was, you didn't, you'd rather have someone else there for that price. But this was a Wander Franco lineup. But Wander Franco doesn't look that bad at his ownership in a lineup like this. The stack is under 10% owned, and all the other, anything else, like Badu is 8%. <coughs> and Peralta is, four, is 14% compared to all the other pitchers. So you didn't need the lay. Okay, fine. You want to take on a chalk Wander Franco in that lineup? Go, go for it. Have fun. In this type of lineup. FJ Bourne is a weirder lineup. Morton Rodriguez. This is the double pay down lineup. Oakland, 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 five man, Oakland, two man, Boston, and Jonathan Scope. Okay. Any other day, this is a this is a good lineup. Leaving 500 on the table like this. Makes sense. We take a look at, at stacks. Let's get rid of the pictures here. I mean, you could obviously see right at the top that that the Astros are going way over owned for a fourteen for a fourteen game slate. Yesterday, yesterday in the bat, I'll take a look look here. I, I got my my cheat sheet. Uh, the bat was one, two, three, four. This the Houston was the sixth highest ceiling in the bat. Yet look at their ownership. I mean, this is it's ridiculous. And that's the main reason. Like, yeah, I played on FanDuel. I still had Astros, but I didn't have much. Uh, number one was the Cubs. And Eli Eli Morgan just comes out and the five innings, nine time strikeouts, just out of nowhere. Just not okay, whatever. Right. And then eventually the Cubs hit the bullpen. So like Contreras and Wisdom and Bryant. I mean, if you had like that, that secondary got eventually got there, but like as a team, it didn't really. And the Cardinals just cry. Cardinals were number two, Angels number three, Brewers number four, and Mariners number five. 
Like those were more of the teams that I played. I didn't have much Oakland on FanDuel. I had a little. I had an Oakland Brewers lineup good Bruin, Bruin towards the end, but I also I had like 30% Wheeler and that that, that screwed me. I'm sitting there with good lineups. I'm sitting there with an Oakland stack with the uh, with the uh, home runs in the lineup and the other spots and the Wheeler's 12 points up there at FanDuel. I'm like, come on, really? That's why I thought Wheeler was under. I think Wheeler was what, like 8% or something yesterday in FanDuel? We can see here the, the Cubs. The Cubs, look, Brick, I could go by shortstop, right? Baez, right? Maybe Forsaken didn't have any Cubs, but a Hubbro, Brick 75, Squirrel Patrol, FJ Bourne, I mean, over on the Cubs. Cardinals, Tyler O'Neill. You can see right here, more green than anything. Jazz Chisholm, okay. Maybe not, eh, a little. You see the Cubs with Jock Peterson, yeah, over. Brick 75, over. The, the Mariners, look at the green on Ty France. That means over. The White Sox, Tim Anderson. That's a bitch over. The Mariners here. The Tigers, a little. But still, look, look, look at Paul Goldschmidt. Like almost, almost like over, over. Not like excessively. <coughs> but that's where you go. You go down in a six, eight percent range there, you start seeing the stacks. Why should these teams be three times less owned? Should the Astros be more? Yes, yes, they should be, right? It's not a question. They shouldn't be even. There's no reason. There's, there's really, from a range of outcomes perspective, there's no reason that Michael Brantley should be nearly 24% owned and, and Tyler O'Neill be what? Half that owned? 12%? And no reason for, you know, Mark Hanna to be 7%. I mean, like, yeah, one should be more owned than the others, but not to that extent. And that's where you're taking advantage of in GPPs. That's the whole concept. So that's why you see a lot of green around. You go into results DB, the green in these three, four, five, six, you typically see a lot of yellow. A lot of yellow, a lot of urine color. It doesn't matter what they put up, right? On on DraftKings, if you give me a twenty one percent owned, any you give me a twenty you give me a twenty plus percent owned hitter, any hitter, doesn't matter their price or anything, on a fourteen game slate, and it's 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 unlikely that I'm 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 gonna have more than twenty percent. Most most likely gonna try to make lineups without them. Just that's just the way that baseball is. Basketball, we can talk, we can do the other way, right? Oh, this guy's going to be 80% owned. And you go, 80% owned may actually be under-owned, right? You know, the guy's 3,800, going to play 40 minutes as the point guard with a 28% usage rate. And, you know, his his meeting is 47. I mean, yes, you pl- you're playing him. <laughs> like the 20% of people are just getting stupid, right? At that point. Let's see, going through the YouTube chat. Nate Branshaw, are you more likely to fade over hitters in single entry in three max? Knowing in those contests, those truck players are usually going to gain more ownership than what is projected. Yes. That, that goes along with the, with the concept of when I say I'm more contrarian in single entry, right? It doesn't mean playing nuts. You could be way contrarian in large field. You should, because you need to get, you need to get more leverage. 
and you need to, but you need to find it. So like, for instance, if we take a look here, this, I think yesterday's slate is a good example. Let's go, let's go to, let's use results DB. Let's go back to the slate. Let's go to the ownership tab. Okay. It looks at ownership throughout. Well, I need to see what the names of the contest. What are the names of the contest on, that they're running yesterday? Okay, so here we go. This, where's the single entry? The battery, the 121 battery, right? Okay, because that's the 121 single entry, 643 entry, right? We're going to do that one. Uh, let's do also the, the seventh inning scratch, the 777, which is a 15 max, 500 entry. And then do the backflip. Okay, so we'll do that. And do the backflip and the, and the micro mini max also. Well, let's, let's look at, okay, I need to remember the names of this. Okay, the 777, we'll look at the 121, okay. Then we're gonna look at a cross section. We're gonna look at the differences between how these players are owned across everything. Okay, so let's get the 121 single entry. One, 121, can I type that in? 121, no. Single entry, battery. Okay, take a look at this. Okay, 777, mega seventh inning stretch. Okay, and then backflip. And we'll even look at the mini max. In there, it's running pretty slow. Mini Max, the micro, mighty micro Mini Max. Okay, okay. So you can take a look here. Let's let's go by. Look 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 at these Astro stacks in the single entry. Okay, Brantley, forty three percent. Alvarez, forty percent. Wander Franco, forty two percent. Right. So take a look. Take a look at this cross section. So we have. The 121 single entry is look, just, I mean, fading the Astro. If the Astros tank, you, you're taking like 40% of the lineups in the entire contest, right? If Wander Franco puts up a three, I mean, you're tanking so many lineups. I mean, look at the, the differences in ownership here. And then you go down, like, let's say, I mean, just look at pitchers. I mean, the pitchers was a little, little, little more spread out. But like Geo, Geo was way more owned in the single entry. Yeah, yesterday wasn't a good good choice for you. Had, you had choices at pitcher, but like if you wanted to play, like the well, the Cubs, they were about the same owned. I mean, you're gonna get some down here that are gonna be under. But look at this: Brantley, Alvarez, Altuve, Otani, Wilson Contreras, Abram Toro is thirty percent in the single entry. But look at Scherzer. Like Scherzer's the complete opposite, right? Because Geo is more owned, so Scherzer's going to be less owned. So you're looking at the differences between the green and the yellow. Right? Way more chances to be different. But of course, you get slightly better competition. You're less likely to see really bad, really bad lineups. But you can take a look at, at the micro mini max. I mean, look at this cross section with Wander Franco. Wander Frank. So to put things into perspective, Wander Franco was a better individual one-off play in a lineup at, in the mini-max and not so much in, in the single entry or even in the seventh inning stretch of 777. 
He was 26% owned versus 21% in the backflip. But you can see in the seventh inning stretch, the 777 has a lot of more sharper players, a lot, a lot of sharper lineups. So you can look, look at the ownership. There's not as much of, of a gap between the Astros and the bat flip, which is an $18 large field contest, or the Minimax, which is obviously the cheapy cheapy contest. Like look at Abraham Toro. Look at Altuve. Look at Robel Garcia. You don't get even though even though you're you're the field is getting smaller, but it's getting sharper. So it's more likely to correctly be less less likely to use the Astros. Single entry is still getting plenty of people that are like, I got to play the chalk lineup. Got to play the chalk lineup. I don't know why. Got to play the chalk. I don't know. You shouldn't. So simply, then, but this is this is why. In single entry contest, I say it's easier to be. It's it. I'm more contrarian, and it's easier to be. That's the reason I'm more contrarian because it's just easier to be. Because all you have to do, if you if you played single entry yesterday and just said I'm not going to play any Astro, then just make the best lineup you can. Just go. Just it does. play Wander Franco. Fine. You could just do that. You could, you could even do that. You're going to be fading a stack that that's going to be in forty percent of the lineups. You're done. That's it. You don't have to go and play. You don't have to go down and play. Uh, I'm going to play the Phillies against Scherzer. You don't. You don't have to do that. You could do that in a large field, sure. But I mean, in, in the single entry contest, you don't. But it's easier to find leverage. It's easier. It's easily just go. Okay, I'm just not going to play Astros, or I'm going to play Astros, but I'm I'm going to play them with like what with like Miles Straw at the bottom, and then I'm not going to play Wonder Franco because he's 42 percent owned in single entry. Okay, you could do that. You just have to find one angle, just one angle of I know what the chalk's going to be, and I have to get rid of some of it, and then then you're done because it's they're going to be so much higher owned in the single entry contest that they will be in the GPPs. And the GPPs, you can't do it as much. If I just full fade the Astros, I mean that's only that's only like eighteen percent of lineups in the contest. I still need to beat the other eighty-two percent, so it's a little bit harder. Then in the single entry where it's like, it could be half the lineups have, have an Astro in it. As long as the Astros put up, don't do well. Like I have a good chance at first place and I don't need the nuts, right? Because half the lineups are dead. You don't get half the lineups are dead in a, in a larger field contest. But you could also see here that the, the sharper point per dollar plays are typically less owned. They could still be over-owned, but less owned in the lower stakes. So you, you could see, you could see the discrepancy here between the stakes and the sizes of contests. So that's why if, if, if you, if you, if in single entry yesterday, if you built a lineup that was Cole Giolito, uh, Houston plus uh, Wander Franco, like, then you're, you're playing badly. I'm telling you, you're playing badly. Could you have done one of those things? Sure, of course. Oh, you couldn't have played Cole. You couldn't have played Giolito. You couldn't play. Yeah, you, one of those you could find, but not all of them together. That was like, that was, you're competing against the same lineups. Oh, they all come in and you still come in 84th. And you're like, how did that happen? Yeah, because there's there's, there's 100 lineups that look like this, right? Maybe duplicated on a 14 game and it's a 14 game slate, right? You, you tell me this is a three game slate. Okay, that's a little, that's a little different at least. 
People want to play. Oh, single entry. I don't know. I could just play the chalk lineup. Yeah, good luck. Good luck with that. Sean V says, I had Morton in a full A stack, so I was happy. I actually did fade chalk Franco, which was dumb. It wasn't dumb. It wasn't, it was not dumb in GPPs. Could you have played him in, in that Oakland plus Morton stack? Yes. Because you didn't need, you didn't need the extra, you didn't need the extra leverage at that point. So you, you could have played him. But your lineup uh, in, in overall projection and ownership was probably fine the way it was. You didn't, you, didn't need, you didn't even need him. But you didn't need to actively not play him in those types of lineups. If you were not playing Cole Giolito Astros or some two out of three of that type of thing, then you could have played Juan DeFranco in those lineups. But you can't go by what happened. You can't say, I'm... I'm Look at what I said before. You can't go, you can't say people that people that that faded Franco were dumb and and people that that faded the Astros were right. That's just the that's just the way that it worked. That the probabilities of two of this are similar to each other. So one of they both apply together. So you can't just go by the results. If the let's say we come into today. The Astros put up 16 runs against Jorge Lopez, right? And Juan DeFranco is sitting there, for, not a great debut, right? 0 for 4, 0 points. You'd be sitting there going, yeah, it was dumb to, it was dumb to fade the Astros. And it was so easy to fade a, 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 2K, a, a rookie coming up, even though he was 2K. It's baseball, right? I mean, you could, you, it, would have been, it would have been that conversation. You can't just go by the results. Was he more, was he over or under-owned in comparison to the lineups that you're playing him in? Houston, definitely. Franco, for baseball, yes. And any On a 14-game slate, anyone that's over 20% is just, you have too many other people to choose from. But you can play them in lineups. If you played it, you could have played an Astros stack with Morton and then like a three-man something or other that's 3%, the Rangers yesterday or some something like that. And you could have played someone. I don't know who was on yesterday's slate. 1% owned whatever. And that would have been fine also. Oh, well, the Astros didn't come in. Okay, well, comparison to that overall lineup, you were still fine. Michael Donfier asks, uh, can you differentiate pitcher ownership? Meaning if you see Cole at 30%, that's different than Houston at 30%. Well, there's less. Well, Houston, understand that Houston is still nine batters. So you can play, doesn't mean you have to play the top five owned Houston guys. When you play a pitcher, there's no other choice, right? So you can play, you can play, like you can play a Houston sack without Brantley or Alvarez and, and actually lower your ownership. So there's a possibility of doing that with actual teams and stacks. Pitchers, you can't do that, right? And also remember, pitching is much more predictable. Pitching is linear. It's not event-driven, right? There's more data points, and there's going to be more pitches. It's not going to be four at-bats and just line drive. Oh, snared by the shortstop. Like like two feet different, that would have been a double, right? A, b- a ball all the way to the wall. Oh, he catches it at the wall. And another three feet, that's a home run. Pitchers, that, 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 they don't work that way. So it's more likely that the pitching projections are going to be narrower, less variance 
hitting projections are going to be much wider. Hence why the better projected pitchers typically are higher owned, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. But you have to do the same comparison as you would with pitchers as you would do with the batters. Like you take a look here. We take a look at pitchers. Should Cole be uh, 70% more owned than Wheeler? Probably not. Should Max Scherzer be a third of the owned, uh, two and a half, you know, something like that? Less? Probably not. Peralta? Should Kershaw be only 8%? Probably not. In comparison to Cole. But Cole should still be, should have still have been the highest owned. It should, Cole's effective ownership probably was still 30%. That was probably his efficient ownership. Giolito's efficient ownership on DraftKings yesterday was still probably 30%. You're not, it's not so overowned. And the fact is that it's easier to increase the variance of your lineup. Remember, in GPPs, your goal is to take, you know, you, you don't want to play optimally. You want to increase the variance. You want a higher, wider range of outcomes, more correlation. You want to increase that top end. It's much easier to do so with batters than it is with pitchers, right? So it's so much easier to say, well, maybe Oakland, maybe, maybe the maybe the A's go off instead of the Astros today, right? Matt Chapman, right? Olsen, Canha. Like the difference between those guys versus whoever the hell the Rangers were throwing out, Hearn and whoever Lyles came in. And the Astros and Alvarez and Brantley and Altuve to be like, okay, the Astros are, you know, those guys are better than Loriano and Canna. They are better. Or how much better? Are they that much better? Not really. Is the pitcher that they're facing uh, that much different? Lopez versus not really, right? So it's like, well, if one's going to be 20, 22% owned and one's going to be 7% owned, it's so much e- it's so much easier to then drop your lineup, play... Yes, you're going to drop two, three points in projection, but you get a ton of ownership. Two or three points in projection, a pitcher typically is a much worse pitcher. So it's so much easier to get a lineup that projects well and is own low by doing, you know, Oakland plus New York plus whatever than saying like, well, I'm going to play Sandy Alcantara and Andrew Heaney in my lineup, right? I'm going to, I'm going to instead of playing the chalk pitchers, I'm going to play two, owned pitchers. And the reason why they're 2% owned is because they project worse than these other pitchers. So I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going, yes, I'm giving up. If I play Alcantara and Heaney, I'm going to be giving up, I don't know, eight, eight, 10 points in projection. I'm going to get the ownership with it. So now, now I don't need any more leverage. So then what? And now I'm playing, now I'm playing the chalk Castro stack and Wander Franco. Well, which is, which is more likely to be variant? Pitching or hitting? Hitting. So why, why do I want, why would I want to play a lineup that is Brantley, Alvarez, Altuve, Toro, Wander Franco? Why do, why do I want to play? I'm going to jam in all of the chalk hitters. Like not just some of them, literally all of them. I'm going to play Otani and Contreras and whatever. And then get different at different at pitcher. It's like, well, how much different are your lineups really going to be? Because you're still going to be sharing lineups with like 20% of the field as it is. 
And then you got to hope that your two worst pitchers beat out the, the better hit, the better pitchers. But the fact that pitching projections are much more, much more linear, much more normally distributed than hitters. It would make more sense. If you're going to play two lineups that are similar in projection and ownership, you'd, you'd rather the difference. You, you're increasing more variance with the hitters than you are with the pitchers. So even though the medians may be the same, it's quite possible that the ceiling of the lineup, the ceiling outcome, like the range of the lineup that has the two chalk pitchers and the off the board stack is actually way higher than the one you're playing the chalk goddamn everything and just differentiating a pitcher. Because then you have to say that like, well, the only way I win is if the if all the, all the chalk event-driven people go off that only have four or five shots to do so. And, and on top of that, that has to happen. And I need, I need Sandy Alcantara to be, to not, to not only beat Cole, but it has to beat Giolito. It has to beat Wheeler and it has to be the highest scorer on the slate also on top of that. And Charlie Morton also, and also be that. Like, why are you differentiating be more likely to differentiate at the positions where it's less variant and not where it's more varied. It's very similar to basketball. When you get these, like the min price guys, like 4,000, two under price. It's like, don't be cute. Just basketball projections are so much more linear. It's not as event driven. So just eat those guys. You see, you see the sharp players, how they play NBA DFS. When we have these, these value plays that are ridiculous, that have, have, 8x, 9x medians, medians, 10x medians. You see them like they're 97% of their lineup. I mean, like they're just, why, why it's basketball. It's not event driven. They're going to like play 34 minutes unless they shoot 0 for 17 or something. They're probably at least, at least going to get to the point where they made value. So it's more likely that you just eat those guys only because basketball is much more linear, much more normally distributed. Baseball, it isn't. So Wander Franco with 2K isn't a slam play. In cash games, sure. He is the highest median. If you're aiming for median, that there you go. You're fine. But once you start comparing it to ownership, like there's no reason that a 21% the 21% owned shortstop no matter what they no matter what the if he was free if Wander Franco was $0 yesterday there's going to be a point where he's overowned there's going to be there, at some level maybe based on your projections if you do you roll your own you made your own model and Wander Franco projected so well that even 21% was underowned. Okay, then then I could throw out my hands and go based on what you okay. True. His projection would have to have been much higher. Based on the bat, based on plate IQ projections, based around projections around the industry. I mean, he was projected for like nine and a half, like median points, which is for 2K is like the best value play on the slate, but it's still an event. It's still this is not a normally these aren't normally distributed outcomes, right? It's not like you put in this and you're more likely to get, you know, no, this is all over the place. So if he was free, if he was literally free, what would his projection and ownership? If he was, if he was free and he was going to be 70% owned, he's probably he's in baseball and for a hitter in baseball, he's that's over owned. 
Yeah, but he's three. Who cares? If he gets a zero, how are you going to win a GP? How are you going to win a GPP at that point? 70% of lineups have a zero in it. Don't you want to take advantage of that? That's the goal. What is the efficient ownership of a player? There's going to be a line. If you want to argue the line, that's perfectly fine. But you have to admit that there is a line. There is a line. Maybe, like I said, you're like, no, 21% is too low. Okay. But you can't tell me that at 80%. If he was 80% owned yesterday, that that was... That, that he's plus EV at that point individually. He's not. No, no batteries. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter what the price is. Do, 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 do. Flint Friday asks, uh, what's the optimal stack size in DK baseball GPPs? It depends on the slate, depends on the lineup. Does not remember, remember the remember the two rules of questions. You can't if you get there's no exact answer or anything. A five a five-man three a five-three lineup and two crap teams that project bad with two bad pitchers is still a bad lineup. Doesn't matter. Well, I stack five, man. I got a five, three. I got leverage. No, it's still a bad line. But yeah, but all evidence points to that that uh, the field still does not five man stack enough. So by default, if you didn't want to, if you didn't want to go into the nuances of different lineups, well, is this four, three, one as good as this five, two? Is this if you want to just default it? If you just defaulted to five X. Just five and whatever. It could be a three-man. It could be a two-man. It could be three one-offs on draft teams. If you just defaulted, and no matter the size of the slate, smaller slates, you're less likely to stack as much. But if you, if, if you did, you're fine. So if you don't if you don't want to think about anything and just default it, and just go every slate on DK in big in large field GPPs, I'm playing 5X, I, I, I'd say go ahead. And then don't even have to think about it anymore. That's what you do. I do that on FanDuel. On FanDuel, I play four three ones. I don't play four fours. And I just play all my liners four three ones because it's just easier to build that way. Could I build some four fours? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I build four two one ones. Sometimes depends on how much time I have and how much and, and do I want to. Look at the nuances between lineups. I'm playing 150 of them on FanDuel. Most of the most of the plus EV lineups are four three ones, so I just play the four three ones. And a lot a lot of the reasoning for that is that the the four four lineups project worse and are actually owned more because of the correlation. It's less likely on DraftKings, but we could talk about that on a different day. Yeah, Daniel Hudgens says stacking is about increasing variance. That's what makes it good to do in large GPPs with huge payouts up top. You need a huge score to win. So you want to add correlation. You want to increase your leverage. Lower your ownership requisitely, in requisite with your projection. So you're going to have a slightly lower projection, but you're going to have much more lower ownership. And just make plus EV decisions and just get your sample size as large as possible. I've been playing for a week and I've lost every slate. Well, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. That's normal. One week. Dude, you can go for, you can, I lose, I lose in GPPs 90 plus percent of the time and I'm wildly profitable. Okay. That's that, that is the name of the game. This, this season has been brutal, but not because I'm, I'm losing, I'm losing. It's because I'm getting top tens and not getting top. I got one top, Two. 
and like 12 top tens. And these payout structures are just like 50,000 and that ninth places is just, a, you might as well just get, just give me the set of steak knives. Right, 10th places on FanDuel is like 350. It's like, well, well, thanks. 350 bucks for coming in 10th out of 44,000. I'm hitting that spot, right? I'm looking there. I'm like, I'm like, I'm in seventh place, six points behind first, right? Like that, it's like, dude, if someone would have hit a double, I would have, I would have 30,000. But no, I couldn't get an extra double. So like that, all you, all you could do is aim for those spots. Just aim for the top 1%, top 0.1%. And after that, it's just, it's varied. So judge, judge your, your play by that more so than did you, did you come in first or how many caches? Don't even care about that. I barely cash. Well, good. Actually, the less you, you cash, the probably better that you're playing. Right. Okay. If you have any more questions before we get out of here, a little short show today. I got a meeting afterwards. We got Eli got other recordings to do. We got to you got to make your lineups for the twelve o'clock. We got you got to make your lineups for the twelve thirty-five slate, even though we have no idea who's who's playing. We have no idea who's playing. Do we even have starting lineups in for Elk? Oh, we got the Nationals in. Oh, okay, isn't that nice? But no, you don't get. It's a what? It's a six-game slate, and half the teams don't have starting lineups. Way to go. I mean, I almost feel that they should have done a three, two, three-game slates. I mean, I, obviously, I prefer the bigger slates. I prefer a six-game slate. But I also prefer all the starting lineups being out before I enter contest, before I, for luck. So I almost think they should have just done a three-game this, then a three-game 340 slate, and then the, then the, then the main seven-gamer. Seven seven game. Ty, Tyler, Tyler McGill, who's a Tyler McGill? He's pitching for the Mets tonight. Tyler McGill. Is he, a, is he a rookie? Is he someone from Double A or something like that? Is he something? He's favored. How bad? How bad of a pitcher is Kyle Wright when when, when the Mets are favored? The Mets are favored in this game. Is that true? Wow. Okay. Okie doke. Hit the thumbs up button on your way out the door. Uh, hit the subscribe button if you're new here. The notification bell to know when we go live. We got Grinders Live later today. Crunch time for premium members. Premium members. Uh, so uh, so click on that link in the description below to get $10 off your first month. And as always, a lot of the stuff that I talk about on the show when it comes to you know ownership, leverage, correlation, projection, all of that, that's all game theory. That's all the game theory of playing DFS. Not about the sport, not about, you know, oh, I think this guy's going to do well. No, well, that's what we have projections for that. So how to utilize that? 15-hour audio DFS masterclass. If you want structured education, it's like going to a seminar. It applies to any sport. You could use this for NFL, MLB, MLB NBA, NHL, PGA, MMA. doesn't matter. doesn't matter what it is, Right. Game objectives, player selection, expected value, leverage, correlation, construction, risk management, exploits, and psychology. 15 hours. Got some testimonials here. People have listened to it multiple times. Uh, if you want to think like a professional DFS player, this, this, is, this, is, this is what DFS is. This, this is how top players play. So if you want to learn those concepts, 
which I talk about on the show all the time. So it's like, feel free to start this show from last year and just watch every episode for hours, for hundreds of hours, or just it's all condensed into a nice, nice structured learning environment, 15 hours, theoryofdfs.com. Pick that up. And, uh, and we'll, we'll see what happens uh, tomorrow for this, for the seven game, for the late slate. I was on the, I was on the morning grind this morning. We recorded last night. So you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be stacking against Caprellian and probably getting Stonewall. So that, that is what I'm going to be doing, doing tonight, right? I, I said it on, I said it on the, on the, on the, on the morning grind. Let's see, right? You play the Rangers, probably low owned Rangers against, I, I don't even know. I don't even know what the bad projections are. Or I may, may, maybe, maybe Caprellian actually, actually, uh, actually projects well. Does he? Does he project well at all? I oh, doesn't predict horribly, but but yeah. So Caprellian. Caprellian, is that how you pronounce his name? That's what I'll be doing. And then probably getting stonewalled. It dep- depends on what the ownership. I have to see the ownership. That's what's going on tonight. And we'll talk about it tomorrow. Because that's what we do on this show. We review slates, talk about DFS strategy for uh, for upcoming slates or questions in general. And I answer them. Mondays through Fridays, 11 o'clock in the morning Eastern for the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.